You are listening to the Live Diet Free Podcast. I'm your host, Esther Avant, personal trainer, sports nutritionist, and weight loss coach. I'm here to help you lose weight for the last time without sacrificing your quality of life to do it. So pop your headphones in, go for a walk, and learn how to become the healthiest, happiest, and most confident version of yourself. Welcome back to the Live Diet Free Podcast. I'm reviewing a book today called Someday Is Not a Day in the Week by Sam Horn. And it's 10 hacks to help make the rest of your life the best of your life. I'm actually going to not go over all 10 hacks because I thought some of them were more useful and relevant than others. So I'm sure you can ask ChatGPT for a a summary of all of them if you'd like. But the ones I'm going to focus on here I thought were the most striking. It would be the most useful to you. So the whole premise is to stop delaying the things that are going to make you happy, help you leave a live a healthy, fulfilling life, and just how easy it is for us to get caught up in the day-to-day, the urgency of, you know, other people just needing things. And she talks about sort of writing ourselves out of our own story, that we're so caught up in making sure everyone else's needs are taken care of that we're not even really a player. We get so used to not being a a major, you know, having a major role that we get to a point where we just stop asking for what we want and need. And we realize that we're more of a passenger than the pilot. So it's all about helping you identify where are the areas that you are happy and things are going well. How can you do more of that? Where are the areas that you're not? And how can you improve those things? And recognizing that you can't and don't need to necessarily change everything. That can feel really overwhelming. But the point is that you can start somewhere and you can do one small thing that's going to then have a ripple effect. I talk about this all the time with health, that it's not losing weight that makes our clients then pursue other things that make them happy, you know, new relationships, promotions, businesses, things like that. It's having taken control of one area of their lives and then realizing I can apply the same formula, these same skills, the same commitment to whatever else I want. And that really is what makes them unstoppable. So she talks about how very much like motivation, I'm adding my input, very much like motivation, happiness is not just a feeling or an outcome. It's also a skill and a choice. And I love that because I think it's very true that it can sort of be spontaneous. I am feeling this way. And it can also be something that you work on nurturing and doing intentionally. Over and over and over again, we hear about the importance of things like meditation, keeping a gratitude journal, surrounding yourself with people who inspire you. All of those are active choices to help you be happy, feel happy, and have happiness in your life. So she starts off with a really good exercise in evaluating what she calls your happiness history. She goes with the four-minute, four-box happiness quiz to help you identify specific things that could make you happier now. So you've got a two-by-two grid. In the top left, you have what are you doing in your life that you want to do? Top right is what are you not doing that you want to be? Bottom left is what are you doing that you don't want to? And bottom right is what are you not doing that you don't want? So your top left and bottom right are what's right in your life, those things that are contributing to your happiness, the things that you're doing that you want to be and the things that you're not doing that you don't want to be, right? So they're, they're really just kind of flips of the same coin. 
the top right and bottom left boxes. What are you not doing that you want to be? And what are you doing that you don't want to be? Are what's compromising your happiness. And she stresses that there's always going to be things in those boxes that we're not striving for completely empty boxes. But the key is how long have those things been in there? Are they the same things year after year? And if so, you're living in what she calls someday land, which are just regrets waiting to happen. This is you assuming this will still be an option for me at some random point down the road, which is not now. And also I'm not really specifying when it is, but sometime. If you recognize the same stuff has been in these boxes for a pretty long time, know that you don't have to try to change it all, but one thing can possibly impact everything else. So it's really pretty straightforward to first identify the priorities where you're not taking care of something that's important to you, envision how you can do it differently, and then just start doing it. Another really, I think, probably eye-opening exercise is to write down your, what she calls, true priorities, the five most important things to you. So those would be things like, you know, health, family, career, faith, that sort of thing. And then write down the five areas you spend your most time. Those are your time priorities. If you don't know, look back at your planner or your you know, Google Calendar or whatever, or do a time audit where for a full week you're writing down at you know 15 or 30 minute intervals, what am I doing? And then kind of chunk that out. Okay, where's all the work-related stuff? My commute, my actual job, my after-hours stuff, where's my family stuff, where's my time? And see how those two lists compare. Generally, it's pretty eye-opening. I think all of us can sort of know without going to all of that effort that we're spending a lot of a lot more time in certain areas than we would like to in an ideal world. And like I said, it's not necessarily that that needs to change completely, but more so that you're shifting some of the focus toward the things that will make you happier and that you're kind of telling yourself you don't have time for right now. She has a really interesting happiness quiz that she encourages you do either with another person so you can actually speak out loud or she references rev.com, R-E-V.com, which my presumption is you can just record yourself doing it um, and then receive the recording. So you could do that in, in any number of ways, but you want to do it out loud so that you can then hear yourself say these things and then listen back to yourself saying them to just help kind of bring your awareness to some things that may not have previously been on your radar regarding your happiness. So questions like, on a scale of one to 10, how happy are you currently? And who and what are contributing to your happiness or your unhappiness? What was your family like growing up? Were you happy as a kid? What about your siblings and parents? Was your home life happy in general? And how is that impacting you now as an adult? Fill in the sentence. If it weren't too late, I would blank. And then sort of elaborating on what you do, why you think it's too late, questioning, is it actually true that it's too late or is that just a, a story? Who's somebody that you know who's happy and why do you think they are? Idea there being, you know, what can you learn from them? How can you start to emulate the things that are making them happy and make yourself happy? If I were to downsize my life and my stuff, what would I let go of? She went through sort of this, um, she called it the year on the water and she was traveling full time and she moved out of her house, really kind of started living more of a minimalist lifestyle. So thinking in terms of like 
the stuff that you have? Is that weighing you down? Is it making you happy? You know, are there relationships that that are weighing you down, that sort of thing? What is preventing you from getting rid of those things, whether they're physical things, whether they're mental stories? Thinking about your relationship with money. Money is blank. How would you describe, you know, that? Um, And then also, how would you describe your financial situation now? Do you have enough? Do you, how much more do you want or need? Uh, How do you feel about retirement and your financial security then? Similar questions about your body. Are you fit? Are you active? Are you healthy? Or are you sick and achy and in pain? On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate your health now? And how is that impacting your quality of life? I think that one can be so powerful. Because I know I talk to so many women who will tell me how much they want to lose weight and make changes. And then when push comes to shove, they just feel like, I mean, this probably isn't really the time. You know, it's busy. My my kids need this. My work, blah, blah, blah. And they don't really focus on the cost of not doing anything. That, you know, the nagging aches and pains, the insecurity, none of that is going to get better with without attention. And that's just really sort of a, a classic example of someday. And someday often becomes never. Similarly, assessing your work life on a scale of one to 10, how fulfilled are you? What do you like about it and what don't you like about it? Do you feel like you're in the right job or right career? And then think about the people in your life professionally. Do you like and respect the people you work with or that you're around? Why or why not? And what impact is that having on you on a daily basis? Personally, are your friends, family, neighbors, et cetera, supportive of you and you pursuing your happiness? And if so, like what specifically do they do? If not, what's an example of that? And is there anything that you feel like you're called to do, but you know, maybe haven't pursued or you did pursue it? How did that turn out? Um, so the idea is just to, they're, you know, essentially like journaling prompts that you're just saying out loud. If you don't want to say them out loud, write them down. At least that's better than nothing. But you want to just get what's in your brain out on paper and see what you can learn from doing that. One thing she reminds us is that happiness doesn't require more time, just that you stop waiting for the right time. And if you have followed me on social media, you know that I talk about this often. There just is no right time. I understand very much the the desire for that. I have certainly told myself this, you know, it, it would make more sense. I'd be able to focus more if I waited till blank. And ultimately, I've I've kind of jumped in at very... Seemingly inopportune times. I did a, a really great business mentorship when Mattis was six weeks old, and I was listening to trainings in middle of the night feedings with one earbud in. And this most recent um, book book project I've gotten myself involved in. I started that a couple months before our international move. I have mentioned that you know I was doing editing sessions in the bathtub at our hotel. So there's just really no perfect time. And in fact, the imperfect times are the best opportunity to get help and to figure out what does it look like to prioritize my health and my happiness in in spite of everything else that's going on. Because if I keep waiting, there's always going to be something. If it's not, the summer is really busy with kids home and, you know, camps are expensive and stuff like that. We just need to wait for the new, you know, school year and things will calm down and then I'll have a chance. And it's like, okay, yeah, well, now the fall is here and we just need some time to ease into our new routine. And I've got a couple of work trips coming up. So I just want to wait a little bit. 
And then it's like, oh, but the holidays are right around the corner. And I certainly don't want to be not indulging in all the things over the holidays. So I'll just wait until January. And, you know, next thing you know, it's been half a year and you haven't done anything. And odds are, when we don't do anything, we're rarely just treading water and maintaining. Usually things are getting less good. We're usually on sort of this negative trajectory and doing nothing continues to lead us down that road rather than like, let me just put a pin in this and leave it where it is and then come back and and make it better. Usually we're moving in the wrong direction. And then you have those regrets of when I do eventually start, if ever, why didn't I start six months ago, last year, five years ago, 10 years ago, and imagine where I could be now if I had just started then. So the whole point is to avoid being in that situation, or at the very least to recognize, sure, I would have rather started before, but I can't, can't go back. So how can I do it now? How can I stop waiting for the right time and just do it? She talks about why we procrastinate on our true priorities when we know that they would make us healthier and happier, right? This is not news to you that making time for yourself, for your health, for the things that light you up would would be a good thing. You know that. So why don't we actually make time for them? She says that so many people feel like their lives are not their own. We have too many obligations, demands, and that essentially our personal happiness feels like a luxury that we can't afford, and we just feel like we're powerless to change those things. It just feels like this mountain that is too high to climb. I There's just nothing. I can, this, is just, this is just how it is. Maybe when my kids are out of school, maybe when I retire, and we just keep kicking the can down the road, like, this is out of my hands. But as you know, hopefully from listening to previous episodes, you may not be able to control your circumstances, but you can control what you do about them, how you respond to them. And we all have the same common excuses for not doing the things that we know that we want and need. We don't have enough time, not enough money, we have too many family responsibilities or work obligations, we either have health challenges that are holding us back or we're taking our health for granted and not doing anything to improve it or make sure it stays that way. We're scared of changing. We don't give any thought to what we actually want. We don't feel supported or we just feel like, again, this is just kind of my fate. This is how my life is going to play out. And although, although those things feel really real, they don't have to hold us back. And What I think is so encouraging is that you can change for the better any given day. And all it really takes is identifying one thing you want to do differently. And then the piece that I think most of us are missing is attaching a sense of urgency to it so that we're motivated to do it now, not in the future, right? It's very easy to say, okay, my one thing is going to be to take a walk, but today's not a great day for it. I'm in back-to-back meetings and I have to go pick up the kids and then... It's just going to be straight through, and then we get to jump in the car because we're traveling, and blah, blah, blah. And next thing you know, you've talked yourself right out of it. So what is the sense of urgency you can attach to something so that just wanting and knowing you need to, doesn't it doesn't just stop there, that you actually then do the thing. The urgency is what takes us from passenger to pilot. So I know a lot of us struggle with the kind of on or off mentality of, okay, I'm going to jump in and I'll be you know good for a couple of weeks. Life starts to get in the way. 
I revert back to normal. I just really have a hard time creating habits that stick or, you know, giving it long enough that I'm in a position for them to become habits. She encourages having a pretend significant emotional event. Most of these are, so you can, you can imagine what a significant emotional event is, right? Um, so you're basically pretending that one of those things has happened and playing out what that would be like and then recognizing that hasn't happened yet. I have the opportunity now to take action to prevent that or you know do everything in my power to prevent that from happening. So those are things like, you know, getting, getting sick or, you know, going to the doctor and getting, you know, finding out that you have, you're at high risk for, you know, heart disease or getting divorced, getting fired. It's a way that you have the opportunity to sort of reevaluate your life based on this, this fake new information that helps you see things differently, right? I've talked before about a client I had years ago when I was training in person who came in directly from her doctor's office where I don't remember the, the exact conversation that they had, but she was significantly overweight and in poor health. And he had given her some sort of, you know, sort of shake up of like, you need to do something about this. And she drove straight to the gym. She bought the biggest package and she was committed to doing something. That was a significant emotional event that shifted how she went about things, what she prioritized. So instead of waiting for that thing to happen, instead of waiting for, you know, the boss to call you into your office or instead of waiting to you know, not be able to ride the rides at Disney, you think about what would it feel like for that to happen? It would feel pretty awful. I would hate that. So what can I do now to help make sure that I do what I can so that doesn't happen? So that's one. Another piece of advice she has that I think is so, so good. And interestingly, I had just encouraged a uh, potential client to do this very thing. When you are saying now is not the time, there may well be some truth to that, right? Every, every time is not the time to do everything. So there may legitimately be reasons that you can't or shouldn't do a specific thing this very moment. But if it's important to you, if it is a true priority, put a date on the calendar when you are going to start or do that thing. She calls it a due date, like D-O, not D-U-E. Um, so this is the date I am going to do it. And that's exactly what I said to this client. She was talking about, um, how that particular time of year just wasn't ideal for her to make investment in herself. And she wanted to sort of reevaluate in a few months and, and see sort of where they stood, which I absolutely understand. But I know firsthand how easy it is to then say, well, we just want to, you know, a, a few more months, kind of get our feet back under us, get into routine, like I was saying earlier. And next thing you know, you've waited a whole year or more. So, you know, I said what I would encourage would be to think when specifically will be a better time that will allow you to devote more time and energy to your goals and your needs. Put that date on the calendar and then figure out what do I need to do in the meantime to make sure that when that time comes, I'm ready. So if that's budgeting, if it's having conversations with your family, if it's you know making work changes, things like that, what needs to be different at that due date in order to not then just kick the can further down the road. If you're enjoying this episode, I want to invite you to join us in our coaching program, Gone for Good. Gone for Good is our signature 12-week coaching program designed to help you develop the confidence, commitment, and consistency necessary to make reaching your weight loss and health goals inevitable. Our three-part framework helps you learn and master the exercise nutrition big rocks, provides comprehensive support and accountability, and teaches you how to take compassionate ownership of your results. 
With both group and one-on-one options, we have a gone for good package to suit your needs and help you overcome every obstacle between you and the weight loss you're after. Whether you want to lose five pounds, 50 pounds, or 150 pounds, we can help you in gone for good. For all the info and to join, go to estheravant.com slash coaching. Another suggestion she gives is that part of why we have a hard time sticking to the goals or the resolutions that we make is because we focus on what we don't want, what we want to stop, what we want to do less of, and that keeps that behavior or that thing at the top of our minds, and it just perpetuates it. So instead, you know, if I say I, I'm, I'm not eating carbs or I'm, I'm cutting carbs or things like that, your, your brain like kind of takes out the middle word of you know, cutting or eating less or whatever, and is just like, carbs. I'm carbs. And right, like, so, so keeping those at the top of your mind, then just makes you do more of them. So she says to replace those words with visual words that express the desired behavior, not the dreaded behavior. Um, and I've talked about this a lot with nutrition specifically, that it feels better to focus on what you're adding to your diet rather than what you're taking away. So instead of, you know, I'm, I'm eating fewer carbs or eating less fat, I'm eating more protein, I'm eating more fiber, right? They're flip sides of the same coin. If you're, you know, eating more of one thing, likely you're eating less of another thing, but it feels better to focus on addition rather than subtraction. And this doesn't just apply to health or food. It can be any behavior you're trying to change. Instead of, I don't want to be watching so much TV at night where you're just honing on ITV night, um, you could then switch it to something like, I read at night. Or, you know, just focusing on the thing you want, that the words you're using are going to be what you focus on. So focus on what you want. Um, And if you're not sure what you want, do some journaling, do some reflecting on you know, what, what is it? What appeals to you? What do you want to do? See your experience B. what resources do you need? What are the actual next steps? What, you know, if you, if you want to travel specifically, where do you want to go? When, who would you go with? Who can you connect with? That's going to help you in this endeavor. And just that the more detail you, you give something, the more real it becomes and the more likely it is to actually happen. So instead of, yeah, I'd love to travel more. Well, okay. If you don't know where you're trying to go, then you know, good luck planning your trip. But if you really get specific with, I saw this, you know, the screensaver of, you know, this Polynesian island looks amazing. That's where I want to go. You start researching, you start, you know, putting together some sort of visual reminder of how amazing it's going to be. It just starts to become more real. And then when it has almost that own life to it, it's that much easier to then say, okay, well, that's where I'm going. So one thing I can do is look at flights. How much are those? Okay. How much would I need to budget to make that happen? How long will that take? And, you know, the next step sort of keep revealing themselves. Another area she talks about is relationships with other people. And I talk about this all the time, how the people around us really can sort of make or break our success, our happiness, and that while you don't necessarily need to completely overhaul your your social network, you do want to be intentional about who you're spending time with, how they make you feel, whether they are encouraging or not, supportive or not, and that other people may push back on your intentions, and that can undermine your resolve to do them. So that that's why it's so much more important to find and align yourself with people who believe in you. And that one of the biggest predictors of lasting habit change is having encouraging peers. And that the, the lack of accountability is a large reason why people give up. So again, just another vote for the comprehensive support, the community that we talk about all the time. She also has some really good 
questions to consider when you're trying to figure out if someone is being critical and like what their intent is. I see this a lot. I have an episode on this. I'm, I'm not sure exactly which number it is, um, but you know why people might not support you and what to do about it. So figuring out what's this person's intention. Very, very overwhelmingly, most of the people in our lives want what's best for us. And a very small percentage want to knock you down, keep you small. They see your happiness as a threat. It has nothing to do with you and everything to do with them. But they may kind of have this, this hidden agenda. Again, it's a very small percentage of people. But if you're wondering if someone's acting in your best interest or theirs, she says you can, you can think of a person in your life who seems to put obstacles in your path whenever you share something that's important to you. So your weight loss goal, you're telling a friend or your spouse that it's important to you. What are they doing or saying that discourages you or causes you to question yourself? Once you're, once you kind of have that vision, you're, you're remembering that experience. You want to run yourself through these questions. Does the person know that what they're doing is undermining your confidence? Are they just giving their opinion or is it, done deliberately to dissuade you? Is this person's nature to be cautious and careful and kind of hesitant or skeptical? Do they think it's their job to look out for you and kind of save you from the risks or dangers? Is this a one-time thing or do they respond this way to whatever you bring up? Do they have a pattern of trying to hold you back or is this specific to this particular situation? Have you told that person how you feel? And when you did, did they listen or you know, brush it off or gaslight you? What was their reaction to that? Is it possible that you're not listening to them? Could they have valid concerns that you should take into consideration? That's something I've come to realize a lot of spouses when they're perceived as unsupportive. It's not that at all. It's that they've seen the negative fallout of really restrictive diets and really miserable weight loss approaches. And it's not that they don't want you to lose weight, it's that they don't want you to be miserable. They think they just want you to be healthy and happy and if you're, you know, overweight, like that's that's fine. That's that doesn't bother them. So it's not that they want you to stay the same, it's that they don't want to see you in the same kind of mental turmoil that you've been in before. So looking at are you actually hearing them are are you making are you jumping jumping to conclusions about what you think they're saying and if you actually listened more closely they might be having some valid concerns you can also think about if there are any ex extenuating circumstances you might be, might not be taking into account um, and whether their behavior is driven by a fear or protectiveness that at least helps explain it even if it doesn't excuse it if necessary is there someone objective that you could get another perspective from who's not emotionally invested and could give you more objective counsel. I talk about that being one of the benefits of coaching all the time, just how helpful it can be to have somebody who is uninvolved in your day-to-day -day life, who doesn't get wrapped up in the emotions of it. A lot of coaching calls end up being, you know, somewhat counseling related, where it's like, you know what, I just need to like vent about this thing that happened at work. Or if your boss said this to you, how would you react? Like, am I, you know, am I being crazy? I just need an objective set of ears. So, Getting yourself that in, in other situations can be helpful too. Um, continuing on, playing out what would happen if you listened to this person's warnings and didn't do what you wanted to do. 
would you thank them in the long run or would you feel like you had given up on something that was important to you, like they had held you back? Then play out, how would you feel if you proceeded anyway? Would you look back and be like, oh, I was hasty, I was impulsive, I should, I should have listened? Or would you be glad that you bet on yourself and you went for what you knew you wanted? And is it worth trying to have a conversation with this person or are they just really locked in like there's nothing you can say that's going to change my mind? Would it do any good to try to resolve it or should you just kind of acknowledge, all right, that, uh, that is what it is and just move on and connect with people who will help you move it forward? All right, you don't have to support it. I'm going to do it anyway and I won't talk to you about it anymore. I'll have you know, my, my coach or my community to, to, to do this with. So let's talk about actually taking the actions. It's all well and good to do the journaling, to do the reflecting, to have the conversations, but you have to actually initiate the the actions that are going to move your life forward. And a lot of us worry about everything that could go wrong and really dwell on the fear of failure or unknown, getting out of our comfort zones, rather than trusting ourselves to figure things out. She says not to overthink your dream and that you can't know everything before you start. And that I think a lot of us have perfectionist tendencies that lead to procrastination. We feel like if I can't do it perfectly, if I don't know everything, I probably shouldn't start. And in reality, you need to develop the compassionate ownership, the self-trust to figure it out. And that a lot of us have put others in front of ourselves so for so long that we don't even know what it is to take time for ourselves or to set the boundaries that would allow ourselves the time to make ourselves a priority. But that being such a martyr has a a huge cost, or at least if it's if it's an extreme, you're compromising your health, your happiness, you're taking yourself out of your own story, and you're teaching people that what you want and need doesn't matter. And then you are passing that behavior long to whomever is watching and is impressionable. She calls it, I hadn't heard this before, but the law of unintended consequences, that what we accept, we teach. So I think a a lot of moms are very hyper aware of, you know, how we talk about our bodies and things like that. But and and that's great as as we should be. But it's not just the words that our kids are picking up on. It's our actions too. And if you are constantly showing that what you want doesn't matter, they're going to pick up on that and you know, potentially feel like, oh, okay, so a mom's role is to be selfless and do everything for other people and not for themselves. If I'm a little girl, that's what I should do when I grow up. If I'm a little boy, that's what I should expect from my wife when, when I grow up. So that's sort of the, the consequence of always putting yourself last. And it is possible to be there for others and for yourself. She gives a really good visual of a, a spectrum where you have serving others on one end and serving yourself on the other, and that you just want to make sure that on a, on a regular basis, when you check in with yourself, that you're not too far on one end or the other, that you're not being completely selfish all the time, but that you're not being completely selfless all the time. And to notice when you're, when you're taking yourself out of that story. Um, and that it might not be this like dramatic defining moment where you're erased out of it, but more so like this kind of drip effect where you, over time, you get so accustomed to being last that you stop asking for for what you want or what you need. So here are some questions you can ask yourself to help you stay true to your priorities. 
So this is back in the very beginning when you wrote down your five true priorities, the things that are most important to you, as compared to your five time priorities, where you're currently spending most of your time. So once you know those, what's a new behavior that I want to do and a new and a true priority I want to spend more time on? Likely your health. What percentage of my time am I spending on it now? And what percent of my time am I spending on other things? Is there an end date for those other responsibilities? Or are they seasonal? Are they temporary? Are they going to be over soon? Or are they the permanent and perpetual type of like, yeah, they'll be over soon in you know 18 years? Um, so recognizing like, sure, there are some things that are temporary seasons of life. And it may make sense to put your due date on the calendar for after them. But there's also a lot of things in our lives that are not going anywhere. And we need to figure out how to put ourselves into the story while they're ongoing. Fast forward yourself to the end of the year. Will you Will you be, you know, positive? Will you feel positively or negatively if you focused on other responsibilities? Will you regret neglecting your true priority and wish that you had started sooner? How will you feel about it in five years? Are you prioritizing your other responsibilities because you have to, you want to, you said you would, you feel like you should? And at what cost are you prioritizing those things? What matters to you both now and in the long run? And are you honoring those things with your time, your money, your energy? Or have you allowed yourself to get pulled away from that? How could you get resourceful and delegate or renegotiate your responsibilities or reduce the time you're spending on them to free up some time to focus on your true priorities? This I talk about often. It comes down to time management, boundaries, having you know, difficult conversations to carve out the time that you need for yourself, for your health. And... Can you establish a boundary with metrics around your true priority so that you honor it instead of continuing to serve others and not yourself? And what would that look like? That if we're assuming our true priorities will be there waiting for us when we're ready, we're putting ourselves on a path to regrets. She says that it's just a slippery slope between being a participant in our lives and a spectator of it. We had a client once give us really amazing feedback, a testimonial from Foundations, one of our former coaching programs, that she felt like she was back in the driver's seat. And that is exactly what we aim to do. You're the CEO, you're the driver, you're the pilot, call it whatever you want. We help guide you, but you are the one who gets to call the shots, as you should, with your health, with everything in your life, because it's yours. And you are the one responsible for making it the, the, best, the best that you can. So when you recognize that there's something that you're unhappy about, she says there are four responses you can have. They all start with A, which is nice. First one, avoid. A lot of us do that. I'm just going to pretend it's not, not an issue, doesn't bother me, bury my head in the sand. The second is argue or complain about it. Those are the top two that, that most of us do most of the time. The third one is accept. Decide this is, there's actually nothing that I can do about this, so... I can't, I have to let it go. That's one that learning to differentiate between what you can control and what you can't is important. And then accepting the things that you can't is, uh, is going to free up a lot of mental energy. And then number four is alter. Take action to improve it, stop it, or prevent it. So the first two, argue and avoid, are where most of us kind of default to. But accepting and altering is where we should really be shining our light and figuring out which of those can, you know, is, is applicable here. And actually where we can, making the effort to change the things that we're unhappy about. She has some really great suggestions for 
she calls them principles of persuasion to turn someone's resistance into them being receptive and being on board. So, you know, I'm thinking in terms of you want to join our Gone for Good program and you need to talk to your spouse about it. You want to cut back your hours at work and spend more time with your kids. You want to go back to school. You want to start a business. Any of those things where like you do have another person involved who you need to sell on it. Maybe it's your boss. I want to work from home more often or I want a raise. Any of those things where you have something that you want and you there's another person involved in the decision making. How do you get them on board? First one, believe in the value of what you're proposing. Telling yourself before you have this conversation, I know this is worthwhile and it's a win for everybody involved. The quote unquote decision maker wants to see your confidence. And if you're not confident, that's going to show. Are you, do you have these, these secret doubts? Like, are you trying to sell somebody on something that you're not actually sold on yet? If so, you got to work on that first. The second is to anticipate why they may say no and say it first. Because otherwise, they're not going to listen. They're just going to be waiting for you to stop talking so they can shoot you down. So something like, I know you might be thinking we've tried this before and it didn't work. You're right. And that's why I've identified what went wrong last time. And I'm making sure that won't happen again. Getting as specific as you need to there. So maybe you've invested in another weight loss coaching program before. And you know why that one didn't work. But your husband's going to be like, nope, they're all the same. So how do you explain to him, here's why that one didn't work. Here's what I realized I need. That's what this one provides. Or with your boss. Sure, the, you know, during the pandemic, productivity dropped when people were working from home. We wanted everybody back in the office. But here's what I'm going to do to make sure that, you know, that mine stays high, things like that. So actually thinking those things through. The third principle of persuasion is to number your points. That it's just people are more likely to understand when it's easy to, to follow what you're talking about. Number four, use their language and focus on their needs. So don't talk about yourself too much. What's important to the person you're trying to persuade and figure out how the proposal will benefit them and address those advantages. So I've talked to, to clients before who said like, yeah, if I tell my husband that when I'm, when I'm more confident, when I am feeling better about myself, I'm going to want to have sex more often, he's going to be into that. Or if you tell your boss, if I had the opportunity to work from home on Fridays, I would you know, then be able to do X, Y, Z. So think about you're already sold on it. How do you sell the other person on it? What, what's in it for them? And then the last tip is to have a, an actual dialogue, have a conversation. Don't try to pressure people because nobody likes to be bossed around and you're more likely to dig in your heels if you feel like you are. They want to make up their own minds. So actively help them picture what you're proposing and what you want. Wouldn't it be great if I wasn't so irritable and snappy all the time? Wouldn't it be great if I was able to close you know, 25% more sales, etc.? So when you approach the conversation like that, you are much, much more likely to get what you want out of it. She talks about how we need to stop watering dead plants in our lives. And those are the areas where you feel like you're investing time, money, energy in things that are not changing. You're kind of beating your head against the wall for a long time and nothing has changed. That you need to initiate something new. Otherwise, you're just going to continue do, doing more of the same. And that you need to be intentional about breaking in. I want to note before we end that she remark, remarks in the book and that I know as well that there are circumstances where sometimes you are in a position where things are truly out of, out of your hands. You are not doing what you want 
and it really feels like you have no other options. You have to work two or three jobs to put a roof over your head and, and food on the table. You are in a damn near 24-7 caretaking role for your you know, aging parents. If you have no option but to accept less than ideal circumstances, really understand why you're in those circumstances, that, you know, that what you're doing is meaningful and important, and give yourself something that makes you happy, even if it's just an hour a week or you know, even less than that. Do something that's going to give you a little glimmer of, of hope and, and happiness in the midst of whatever else is going on, that you may not be able to change the big things ever, but that the small things you do can add up. Even if it's just, you know, a gratitude journal or reading a few pages of a fantasy novel that takes you out of your life, those, those small things done consistently really can make a difference. So to end, remember to not postpone what would make you happy because you assume it's going to be waiting for you later and that you have more important things to do now. Assess what is missing from your life now, where your true priorities are misaligned with your time priorities, and start taking that first step towards aligning them better and creating a life that you love and that makes you happy and healthy right now. Thanks for tuning in. I'll be back next week with another episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Live Diet Free Podcast. Whether this is your first episode or you've listened to them all, I appreciate you being here. One way you can help this podcast succeed is to subscribe, rate, and review it. If you don't mind doing those things, I would love to thank you with a copy of our weekend survival guide designed to help you have weekends you enjoy that don't set you back from reaching your goals. Just send a screenshot of your review to admin at estheravant.com and we'll send it over. And don't forget to check out estheravant.com slash coaching for all the info about our Gone for Good coaching program designed to help you develop the confidence, commitment, and consistency necessary to make reaching your health and weight loss goals inevitable. Our three-part framework helps you learn and master the exercise and nutrition big rocks, provides comprehensive support and accountability, and teaches you how to take compassionate ownership of your results. With both group and one-on-one options, we have a Gone for Good package to suit your needs and help you overcome every obstacle between you and the weight loss you're after.